0: Welcome to Amplify, the personal brand entrepreneur show. Today on the show, Bob is speaking with Robbie Samuels. If you can solve someone's big P problem in a one-hour lunch and learn or a one-hour discovery call, they're not your ideal client (laughs) because they don't have a big problem. If you can instead help them realize the bigger problem and have them actually walk away a a little unsettled even, a little like, oh not realize that was happening that's where you position yourself as having authority and having expertise and as a resource versus another thing Bob, a lot of people do is give away an hour worth of free advice and you feel good and they feel good but no one acts on free advice it's not strategy it's a list of tactics they can't read their handwriting two weeks later they haven't done anything they start to avoid you when they see you because they feel bad and embarrassed they took up your time you're so generous they haven't taken action and then ultimately they hire somebody else to help them implement the notes that they could they critically make out. And you're like, why did that happen? And it happens over and over again because you're not giving them the understanding of the bigger problem.
1: Hi there and welcome back to Amplify, the personal brand entrepreneur show. My name's Bob Gentle and every week I'm joined by incredible people who share what makes their business work. If you're new to the show, take a second right now to subscribe in whichever player you use. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, then make a second to check the new follow option in the top right of the page in the app. That way, Apple will queue me up next, and we both win. So before I jump into introducing this week's guest, just a quick reminder that after nearly 200 of these interviews, I've learned a thing or two about what makes business work online. And it turns out that success does leave clues, and I want to offer the map to you. So jump over to my website and grab a link of the Personal Brand Business Roadmap. Everything you need to start, scale or just fix your personal brand business. It's yours for free as a gift from me. You'll find a link in the show notes. Now this week, my guest is the author of two books, Croissants versus Bagels, and he'll explain that himself, and his new book, Small List, Big Results. This week, I'm thrilled to welcome Robbie Samuels to the show. Robbie, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you for having me, Bob. Pleasure to be here.
1: Robbie, for the listener who doesn't know you, why don't you just start by telling us a little bit about who you are, where you are, and the kind of work you do?
0: Sure. So, prior to the pandemic, I'd spent about a decade working to be known as a networking expert. Five of those years, I was employed and I had a side hustle speaking on the topic of networking. I had a talk called Art of the Schmooze. And when I left my career to focus on a business, I also was trying to develop a new audience. I ended up launching a podcast called On the Schmooze, which I've now had for five and a half years, and uh, that led to uh, publishing a book a year later, uh, Croissants Versus Bagels: Strategic, Effective, and Inclusive Networking at Conferences. I'll explain the title in a moment. Uh, I then launched my first group coaching program in 2017 into 2018, and then did a TEDx on that topic in 2019. So by all by all uh, measurements, I was about to be an overnight success, 10 years in the making. And March, 2020, uh, all the things I was known for, all the ways I brought value into the world weren't needed. Eye contact, business cards, shaking hands, body language. So I, I had to figure out other ways to show up and add value. So I wrote nine ways to network in a pandemic and shared it on March 12th, 2020, and then decided to try one of those. So March 13th, 2020, I hosted my first virtual happy hour. I wasn't trying to start a business. I was just trying to show up and add value. I led that the next couple of weeks, and uh, that led, over the next few months, to a thriving six-figure business. Uh, eight months later, I had reached six figures and and, and growing, and was able to, as you mentioned, uh, move into a new home, bought a new home in uh, Philly suburbs, and uh, move my family here. So uh, the new business was to become a virtual event design consultant and an executive Zoom producer, because I believe events are about content and connection. That's what I've always been talking about. I need to figure out how to make that happen in this new virtual space. And I was running a four week certification program for people who wanted to learn how to use online facilitation really well. And then I started being hired by companies to bring their events online with less stress and greater participant engagement. So fast forward to 2021, And I'm spent a year of people saying to me, "Robbie, how did you do that?" So the secret to how I did that was that I'm also a business growth strategist, and during 2019-2020, I was working with a company. uh, I was I was meeting with a dozen entrepreneurs a week, helping them uh, identify their markets and grow their businesses. So when the pandemic hit, I was in the process of helping them. So when I started getting lots of coffee chat requests and pick your brain requests in March and April, I I, my instinct would have been to just fill my calendar <laughs> with coffee chats, and I would have, as an entrepreneur, been happy to talk to anyone I didn't have to feed. Um, but my coach instinct was I would never tell a client to do that. Like These are research calls. So that's what happened. I basically treated myself like a client in 2020 and was able to very quickly test a lot of ideas. Not all of them worked. I don't usually talk about the ones that don't, right? But the ones that did led to lots of success in varying ways. So this new book is an answer to the question um, of how do you how did you do that? But more importantly, it, it's an answer to the question of how you can do it. And so it's called Small List, Big Results, Launch a Successful Offer, no matter the size of your email lists.
1: So small list, big results. I think that's something a lot of people listening can identify with because the truth is mm-hmm. most people, if they're at the beginning of the journey, and a lot of my listeners are, they haven't spent a lot of time building Their list. And I know there's lots of different kinds of lists, lots of different places people might have lists. But how do you unpack this for your audience? How can we achieve big results from the small list? What is the premise of the book?
0: Yeah, big results. Um, Before I forget to do so, I'll just explain croissants versus bagels. It's a cliffhanger I've left there. Bagels are those networking huddles when you walk in a room, people are standing shoulder to shoulder in these tight little clusters. It's impossible for you to break in. That's the bagel. If someone shifts their body language to make space for others to join, that's the croissant. It's also about mindset. You're there to meet people. How do you stand so you're physically approachable? So, being aware of your body language and what it's saying and looking for people that are going to let you in uh, was sort of the tip. It's also in my TEDx. Uh, robbysamuels.com forward slash TEDx you can watch I actually brought people up on stage with me to sort of describe that and as we're about to get back into you know real-life meetings in person meetings again we will again need to have these uh, these these abilities but the new book answers that question about you're asking about small lists here's the thing a lot of us didn't develop lists email lists early enough um, we also haven't always had the right people on our email lists I had 300 people on my email list when my first book launched that was after you know. Well, I don't know, eight years <laughs> of, of having a, a talk, it, you know, but it was, so I wasn't really working that hard at the email list. It wasn't the right people it, it was, it was a random assortment of people I'd met over, over those years. It wasn't a nurtured list. I didn't have a weekly email, right? So I was doing everything wrong. And by the way, the best way, Bob, to not have anyone uh, unsubscribe. If you, if people hate people unsubscribing, just don't email them because then you'll stop all the unsubscribes. So anyways, it's not a very effective tool. But so for me, it's it's the lesson in the book isn't about how to how to attract more people to your email list. And I'm not anti-email list. I think they're a good idea. But in the process of doing that, you should still be you know, building a business. And so it's not, my book is not uh, about uh, email sequences or, or lead magnets or landing pages or any of the, that stuff. It's about the fact that you should look beyond your subscription email list to your larger network and, and identify, it's, it's about discovering likely prospects from within your existing network who already know, like, and trust you, and then co-create the offer, the solution, the program with them, and then invite them to pilot it with you. So too often, uh, we are very narrowly deciding who, who might be interested. And there are way more people, dozens, hundreds of people that probably would either themselves be interested, would be a great referral partner, could make a great introduction for you, could give you feedback, right? Could just give you encouragement. So I think too often we overlook this incredible resource we have in our own network. And the book really walks you through step-by-step how to wake up your network and identify those likely prospects and likely referral partners.
1: Now, I'm so glad this isn't just a straightforward list of building book because that would almost be too easy. Right. I think when I look at your bagels versus croissants book, this is very much a natural evolution of that. The, the meat and potatoes of how to organize yourself in a room full of people, how to navigate and be able to work out how to spend your time effectively in that room is a life skill that is super easy to take for granted. I mean, you don't take it for granted because you wrote the book about it. I actually took a training course on this once and trust me, anyone listening, understanding how to orientate yourself in a room is a life skill that can change your life. and certainly transform your business. Mm-hmm. So I don't take that for granted. Now, a lot of people take things like lead generation, particularly on social media, for granted. A lot of people take it for granted that it's difficult. In fact, I saw on social media the other day, somebody post on Facebook, complaining that Instagram was just a waste of time because it was impossible to generate any leads there. And I was thought like, this is somebody who doesn't understand mm-hmm. the new dynamic that if you want different results, you're probably going to need to take different actions.
0: Yeah, the the wake up your network process is great because it also wakes you up as an entrepreneur to all these new possibilities. I write in the book about something I call expert syndrome. So there's sort there of two extremes for why people don't do this, uh, like reach out to people. One is expert syndrome, which I'll explain in a second, and the other, which I think more people can understand, is nerves. <laughs> I don't want to bother people. What would I say? Who would I ask? What am I gonna do? You know, it's just a lot of like, what, what, what? I'm so confused. I'm nervous. Uh, and so those people just can't get out of their own way. They just—that's part of the problem. So it's mindset. But then the 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 expert syndrome folks they know a lot about their audience they they've worked in this community they've they've served people and so they hear about a problem someone's having and they immediately come up with a solution in their head and they're like tinkering with it in their basement you know don't tell anyone they don't they don't invite anyone to give input and then they bring it to the market and then basically the market says who are you what is this why do i need it and you're just like what i i know you need this and that's so confusing and demoralizing and it's happening over and over again, even the people who are very experienced are, are very clearly an expert. It's because sometimes it's a s- simple language shift. In the book, I gave the example of you're building an offer for women who are fatigued, but you interview 12 women and none of them use the word fatigue, but more than half of them use the word exhausted. You should shift your language. <laughs> you know, like that is like sometimes it's a little thing like that to help people realize that you're actually
1: talking to them so one of the things you're talking about is Mm co-creating your product with your community and i'd love to know from you what does this co-creation look like because i'm feeling that it's a very different way of approaching it most people they have their product idea they develop in secret they deliver it boom i've got your problem solved ma'am but you're talking about something very different so what does co-creation mean for you
0: so the book has a section called Wake Up Your Network and in the Big Results Toolkit, which is the bonus content that you accompanies the book. It, it has a workbook that really steps you through these, this process, which, by the way, everyone can get at robbysamuels.com forward slash gentle. So that's where you can get the free bonus uh, Big Results Toolkit. So I'll use LinkedIn as an example, but your list could be from Facebook or Instagram. There are third-party services to let you scrape you know, lists of names off these things. It could be your phone contact list, which is probably bigger than most people realize because you've had your phone for a very long time and you just keep importing the phone numbers from one device to another for years. I have people on my phone list from 15 years ago. So we look for lists wherever you can find lists and that's part of the, the exercise here. But we'll say LinkedIn, it's actually pretty easy to download your LinkedIn contacts. There's Google makes that possible. I mean, sorry, LinkedIn makes that possible, but you can Google to figure out how if you're not sure how to do it. And now you've got this list of names. Now not everyone's equal. So the first pass through is to identify people that would recognize your name and you would be happy to hear from them out of the blue. Who would you be happy to hear from out of the blue and would they recognize your name? So there's a column that I call consider and you put an X in the column if you think that that both those would be true. And you could set a 15 minute clock and just go through the list as much as you can. And then at the end of 15 minutes, go through it again for 15 minutes or stop, and then take a break and then do it again and come back to it over several weeks. You can go as fast or slow as you need to. But once you've got about 200 names on that consider column, add new columns for their, con- their connection to you, their influence, and their interests. So connection, one, two, or three, three being highest, how likely are they to get back to you when you reach out to them? If they're very likely to get back to you, that's a three. If you're not sure, it might take a little effort on your part, that's a one. And a two is you couldn't decide. <laughs> and then influence, don't make this a research project. How big is their influence? If in, in in this case, like if they got excited about what you're working on, Bob, how many people could they tell? So my mother could get very excited about what you're working on and she might have one person to introduce you to that'll be an amazing connection, but she doesn't have a platform. She doesn't have a following, she, right? She's an audience. So her influence is minimal compared to some other people and also regionally. So if you're trying to do something very local, then the Chamber of Commerce past president would be very influential, but on a national scale, not so much, right? So, so influence has different boundaries around it. Again, one, two or three gut instinct, go for it. And then the third one is interest. How interested are they in the topic you're currently looking uh, to talk about? And again, based on their position, their their role, their industry, uh, what they post about, where they volunteer, where they donate, right Whatever you know about them. And then using that criteria, you now add those numbers across. If someone scores a four or less, remember, everything was one, two or three. So if they score four out of a possible nine, you know, this isn't the time to talk to them. In this case, go back to that consider column and change the x to a z. And then you can resort the list. I do like spreadsheets. You can do this on paper, but I like how easy spreadsheets make this. And then snooze them. drop them to the bottom of the list. Now who you're left with, you've got to decide uh, add a category column and you're gonna figure out if they're a likely prospect or a likely referral partner. If they have high influence and some interest, then put them in the likely referral partner. And some of those people might actually be fellow experts serving a similar demographic as you. Um, some might do something very different, but you think they could refer to you. And then uh, the next one is people who have uh lower, intre- lower influence, but very high interest. Uh, those are people that are likely prospects. There might still be some names on the list that don't fall into either of those categories, but when you saw their name, you lit up. You were excited to think about them again. Remember, this has been a while. You've talked to them. It could be years. It could be five years. It could be 10 years. Those people I would put under coffee chat, and you want to have a couple of these people in this list because I do think it's hard to get started. And if you know you're looking forward to a few of those phone calls, that could be really help, be helpful. So, you know, the ultimate goal of this, Bob, is to identify somewhere between 20 and 30 people to reach out to over the next, oh, I don't know, 6 to 12 weeks would be ideal. It could be 6 months, but you can do it much faster than that. And you want to make two-thirds of that list be likely prospects. And then the other third, a mix of these fellow experts or colleagues that are referral partners and some coffee chat folks. If you over-index on that, though, they're not not—they're not going to buy from you. So you could fill up your calendar and not actually end up with any prospects. So two-thirds prospects would be my uh, suggestion. And that's sort of the, the basic tenets. And then it's about having a conversation, not pitching, but listening, asking questions, getting them to come and share with you uh, what's going on for them.
1: So I know people who work in professional sales roles that aren't as disciplined as that around their goals. My God, I wish they were. I'm listening to that, and I'm thinking about the compounding effect of that over time. You take a little bit of consistent action, just reaching out to the people who already kind of like you. That could change your life.
0: These are people who already have that know like and trust. They may not know what you're up to right now. And the big thing about, you know the you know, is it who you know or what you know? I think it's who knows what you know. And will they remember you? So that's part of the waking up your network is, you know, when when 2020 happened, a lot of us had to reestablish ourselves. The word pivot got so overused. I needed to make sure that people knew what I was doing. I was known as the conference networking guy. That was clearly not going to be happening. So in the fall, after I made these shifts for my business, I put out a ton of content on LinkedIn and Facebook so that people knew what I was doing. So that, that was sort of broad strokes. But then I had to also think about individual people to reach out to. So I think of, you know both, both things are important and trying to identify how do you make sure people know what you're up to and remember you when it's time to refer to you.
1: So what I was going to ask was about moving into this co-creation piece, because I think a lot of people would worry that you're supposed to be the expert. Yeah. People expect you or perhaps you feel people expect you to have the solution if you're going to be valid as the expert. So coming with this co-creation mindset, you might feel there's a risk on the one hand that I can see it's extremely valuable. You'll get a better product fit. But on the other hand, you're coming asking questions and not offering a solution. And that might be felt as possibly a little bit too much vulnerability when you're supposed to be there with a, a solution for them.
0: Yeah, yeah. Good good, good catch there. Um, how, think about a moment. You may have had this experience yourself where someone has offered to co-create with you. If you feel heard, if people are listening and asking thoughtful questions that make you think differently about the issue, in the book I talk about little p and big p problems. There's this whole continuum of awareness that leads to to a sale, and the people we're selling to, there are prospects. They're not experts. They're not. They're not aware of what's really the, the issue that they have to deal with, but they still have problems. I call them little p problems because in the scheme of things, it's not. It's not the thing but it's what they're thinking needs to be worked on. And so that's the kind of thing they bring to you. So in this conversation, your job is to help them become aware of the bigger P problem that is actually throttling their success in some way. And just by you knowing how to ask those kinds of questions to help them come to realize the bigger problem, it actually does set you up as the the expert, the advisor, the, the person who would have solutions if you know the right problem well then they think well you must know a solution too so now they're aware of the bigger problem and they become open to uh, and even eager for a bigger solution whereas if you had just come out of the gate with your big solution they don't think you're talking to them and yeah they just they move on they they like that's not i don't need that and how many of us have had that issue where we're like this we know this is what you need they don't know And so a big part of our marketing, our emails, our social posts, these kind of research calls is actually bridging that gap between little P and big P aware. I need my prospects to be educated about this very thing we're discussing before they'll go and spend five figures with me on a coaching program. Because the coaching program doesn't make any sense if you think the problem is you need to hire, I don't know, a Facebook ads guy.
1: Yeah, Facebook ads is exactly the example I was thinking of. And another analogy that I've heard used is painkillers versus vitamins. That a lot of people, they have a problem. They have a point of pain. And so because they have a pain, they want a painkiller. When what they probably needed was a better lifestyle, diet and exercise. And then the pain will go away and it won't come back. But as a service provider, a lot of the time, if you come offering the diet and exercise rather than the painkiller, people are not going to feel pretty well disposed to that. They're gonna, no, I want the painkiller. I want a painkiller. I don't know you well enough to talk about diet and exercise yet. The trust isn't there for them to deal with this, the, the big P problem. They want to talk about the small P problem.
0: Yeah, and this is where the trust really comes in. And then, and over time you'll have proven results. So it'll be, you'll be able to sell to a wider audience once you have these proven results and these testimonials, the outcomes will be clear. But when you're first creating something you don't know exactly how it's going to turn out. It, it, is, it is a pilot, whether you call it one or not. It's better to have friends or friendly people, <laughs> people who already trust you, uh, in there with you because they're going to give you the honest feedback. Too often when we do these kinds of research calls, uh, two things happen a lot that, that really thwart the, um, the co-creation process. One is we come in pitching so we, we've already developed something and our ego is pretty wrapped up in it, and we really like it. And so we set it up to, to say, like, what do you think of this thing? And so we narrow the conversation to their feedback on this thing. And there might be some adjacent issue that is more pressing, but they're not going to bring it up. There might be something that has to happen first before they'd be ready for this, but they're not going to bring it up because you've narrowed it in. And they're also going to give you platitudes. They're going to make you feel good about yourself. So if you ever get on a call and someone gives you an unsolicited compliment, or maybe even a solicited one because you slipped and you asked for it by saying, I'm really excited about this. <laughs> and they're gonna say, Oh, yeah, it sounds really good. It's useless. And if they tell you their future in the future, I'll, I'll definitely gonna do this. No, no, ask them at the last time they had this issue come up in their lives and what did they do to try to solve for it? And if the answer is nothing, they were living with this problem, then the problem's not urgent enough for them to even seek out your solution not you know, like, it's sort of like saying, wow, I can think of five apps already on the market that could help you at least a little bit. Have you looked for any of them? Nope, didn't even know that was a thing. And you're like, I'm building an app. <laughs> this is not gonna help you. These people are not interested. So I think that's part of the issue. What we wanna do, with the co-creation part is, is record all of this and Zoom makes this very easy. You can actually enable free, for free transcription for both the free and paid levels of Zoom. Uh, another Google thing, if you don't know how to do this. Uh, and I part of this is part of my Zoom teaching moment. Uh, it's great, it's built in. Uh, it's otter.ai kind of built into to Zoom. And then you have this transcript, which saves you a step. And within 24, 48 hours, go through the transcript and identify uh, the problem language. And I like to copy that and you know, tell my, my, my clients, copy that, co- Problem language onto a spreadsheet. Then you want to like rank the urgency. You want to then categorize things over time. What you're trying to do is you have all these, all these trees. Each problem statement is a tree, but you want to be able to step back and see the forest, see the themes in there. And if someone just says to you, I have trouble sleeping and you run off to go build some solution, you're really missing it because you don't even know if there's a problem. You don't know if it's urgent. You don't know. If they try to fix it, you don't know if the problem is they work too hard and therefore need better ma- time management, priority management, uh, delegation tools, or they have a really crappy bed. I mean, like who knows, right? Like, like the problem that you're solving for may not be at all what they're looking for. And so, I think we really have to listen and not put problems there that aren't um, really paid into the urgency. Because if it's not urgent, if they're not actively looking for a solution, uh, it doesn't matter how great yours is. They're not. They're not looking. And you, you need to help them start to realize this bigger problem. If you can solve someone's big P problem in a one hour lunch and learn or a one hour discovery call, they're not your ideal client (laughs) because they don't have a big problem. Um, If you can instead help them realize the bigger problem and have them actually walk away a little, a little unsettled, even a little like, Oh man, I did not realize that was happening. That's. That's where you position yourself as having authority and having expertise and as a resource versus another thing Bob, a lot of people do is give away an hour worth of free advice and you feel good and they feel good, but no one acts on free advice. It's not strategy, it's a list of tactics. They can't read their handwriting. Two weeks later, they haven't done anything. They start to avoid you when they see you because they feel bad and embarrassed. They took up your time. You were so generous they haven't taken action. And then ultimately they hire somebody else to help them implement the notes that they could they could cryptically make out and you're like why did that happen and it happens over and over again because you're not giving them the, the understanding of the bigger problem you are giving them a list of tactics no strategy and they then avoid you if you instead give them a listening ear help them kind of understand the problem and then give them one or two things to work on and say you know what you might run into some trouble with this come back to me i'd love you know i'm gonna keep doing these research calls but if you have a specific question I'd love to hear about it because it would actually be really helpful to hear from you. They're much more likely to reach out to you <laughs> when they're unable to figure it out what, what the next step is. And then the ones who do are really like, hi, I'm a, I'm a prospect. <laughs> and then when you have a pilot of something, you come back to them and you say, OK, I've been putting together what the offer might be. And uh, one of the things you said is really, really like ringing in my ears as I was doing this. I kept thinking of this one thing and you repeat with the thing. Could be repeat verbatim or you give them a general sense of it. And then you say, here is the outcome. Here's the promise of this of this pilot. It's going to be these five sessions. At the end of it, our time together, you will be able to think differently, feel differently, do differently, be different, right? Like, right? Some something will shift. And what do you think of that outcome? Is that what you're looking for? And they say yes or no, or here, how about this? great. And here's how I'm generally thinking about running this. It's going to be this many sessions for this many hours. It's going to be weekly or every other week. And I've gotten to that point and had someone say, you know, I want to do group. I want to just get started. I don't want to wait for you to get this going. Let's just work together. And you've got to be ready for that because you don't want to be attached to your how. I think too often entrepreneurs are really stuck on their IP and on their process and on their how. And truthfully, no one cares until they care. And when do they care? When you've shown them that it is actually an outcome they can achieve. And when they believe it's an outcome they can achieve, now they want to know how. And now if you tell them how is jump on a pogo stick six times, they'll be like, where's the pogo stick? But if you're running around town trying to get people to jump on pogo sticks, no one's going to want to talk to you about that. It makes no sense to them. And that's where our disconnect is like, we we aren't bridging that gap often enough.
1: It's really funny that you should uh, talk about Selling one on one every time you sell a group because that actually happens to me all the time. Every time I've got these big ideas about selling memberships or groups, and the byproduct is I end up filling the books with one on one clients.
0: Well, sometimes the the thing about groups and and one on one and modalities like I I knew going into the book that I just published that I I wanted to do a mastermind. I really like that modality. I also think uh, it can be done really well and that it, it really helps people actualize and implement ideas but people have to have a certain level of knowledge before they could make use of a mastermind and I I was hoping that all the things I did in the fall would would find the right audience so you know for two months I was putting out content sharing content running pop-up masterminds giving a three-day free training to get people to the point where they had that knowledge and in the end I did sell a few people in to so this very expensive program but now I'm actually going to create a 12week, Sort of component that's going to now be the beginning of that, that year-long program. And the year-long people who signed up are going to get access to it. I think going forward, the option is going to be buy 12 weeks as a standalone, as a training. And you can then add on the mastermind or buy the year and you get an extra whatever. And I just see got to meet people where they are. I knew that not everyone would be ready for the bigger thing, but if I didn't ask for it, then nobody gets it. And I do think it's the thing that would get people the best results. So I'm not doing anyone any favors by sort of dumbing the offer down. And that's uh, my own angst if I do that. You know, that's about my own stuff if I don't put out the offer that I think would actually get them the results they need.
1: So let's look at your business a little bit. Obviously, you have the books, uh, you have the podcast, I found a YouTube channel, you have a lot of things going on. I'm curious. Which of these platforms are you most comfortable with? Which one do you feel is like home for you?
0: Well, I do a lot of video. Um, I, you know, Whether that's these int- kinds of interviews, lives for other people, um, I just put out a lot of video content. I have a whole video series of over 70 uh, Zoom tutorial videos that I put out and I now stopped making them, but I keep sharing them and I've got them created as a resource. I, actually, if you go to robbiesamuelscom forward slash videos, you can get over 30 of my most requested videos for Zoom. As an example, I, I love speaking. I mean, I'm a professional speaker, sort of the, the core of who I was before the pandemic. And now I'm just finding new ways of still being a speaker, still educating through the spoken word. Um, that's why I love having a podcast all these years. Um, the book and the writing is not my first instinct. Uh, I've gotten better at it. I no longer feel stressed about it, it's not my favorite. I like the promotion of it more than I like <laughs> the writing of it, but I think it's it's really important for people to have a resource they can go back to. Um, the best compliment I got from the book uh, "Small List, Big Results" is that it's a quick read. You'll go back to for the next ten years, and to me, that's that's the kind of books I like—the ones that feel really useful. And it's it's a very quick read. It's not a very long book. I didn't add a lot of fluff. I added some stories and a lot of a lot of examples and a lot of. Um, exercises and challenges to put in the book and then there's the um the companion big results toolkit to help you implement those strategies but it really is meant to be a book you use and so i'm, I'm looking forward to like speaking on this topic more and uh doing these kinds of interviews is a great way to getting content out
1: i'm gonna buy your book and the reason is i think the gap between the, the content and the result is unusually short. It's not often that somebody speaks to something so distinctly actionable and universally applicable. We all know people. Most of us know hundreds of people. (laughs) Um, In my own methodology, I speak about the power base as the people who already know you. We all know hundreds of people. They already kind of like you and you completely dismiss them a lot of the time. We're all focusing on winning new lists, bringing in new audience you focus on the people who already know, like, and trust you, you could probably double the opportunity you bring in next week, let alone the rest of your career.
0: Yeah. I, I have a phrase I've been repeating a lot lately. I believe 80% of the people you need to know to be successful, you've already met. So very similar to what you're talking about. Like, you know, this is really about going back to, to, to your supporters from, you know, from a while ago, perhaps. But if they'd remember your name and you'd be happy to hear from them out of the blue, then the only reason you haven't is because you haven't reached out, you know, I, that's, yeah, I love very shared, shared synergy and yes, very actionable. I mean, that's just even my first book. Um, the, the reason I wrote the first book was but I, I had been talking for that at that time, probably about seven, eight years. Um, and the concept of croissants and bagels was part of my talk. And, but it was the concept that people would talk about three, four years later, they would see me and they'd point at their feet and show me how they were standing. And once I introduced it, People would walk in a room and tell three friends. And those people would tell three people. And very quickly half the room was standing, it was all demonstrating, it looked like starfish. it was like synchronized swimming. And, and it was that kind of like actionable. Wow, this is really a ripple effect result. And I wanted to have a, a business book that did that same thing. And the the book uh, title, I want to just explain that how it, why it's so weird. It, it's worded in a weird way. So first I should say that originally the title was gonna be smallest, big ambition. With a question mark and the subtitle was leverage your network to grow your business and the reason it's not that is because i workshopped this co-created it with my audience so i knew i had a very specific ideal client demographically it tends to be entrepreneurial women over 50 looking to grow their impact or income and um psychographically it's you know, demographic still 50s plus but it's it's any gender and it's people who are uh, really looking um, to have that greater impact, but think they're starting from scratch, don't want to waste time, you know, feel like they don't have anyone to talk to, like who, who would I sell this to, and just trying to just trying to get started. And so I put out to my my network that this is the the book, and I heard back right away that women over forty five don't like the word ambition, and women under forty five did. <laughs> so I was like, oh, well, that doesn't really work. So then I said, how about goals, smallest big goals, and a woman wrote. In response i have enough goals i need results and four other women jumped on that comment and were like yeah that 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 and so i'm like oh, okay so then we had a conversation online about whether or not to have an exclamation point smallest big results in the end i didn't because it felt too salesy and i'm not that's not who i am but now i have this subtitle leverage your network to grow your business i go on on amazon and leverage your network is used for career books people looking for jobs job seekers And I also realized that it's the solution and people aren't looking for this solution. And then I had to think about what is the small p problem that my reader has. I co-created the content of the book. I knew the content was good, but if I didn't package it right, they wouldn't find it. I realized their issue is they think the reason they're not selling is the size of their email list. They think they're not selling something because their their email list is too small and they're looking for a solution to solve for that, which is how the subtitle became launch a successful offer, no matter the size of your email list. But there's nothing in the book about lead magnets or landing pages or you know, email sequences. And so it's about drawing people in, meeting them where they are, and then giving them something they weren't expecting that they actually needed.
1: Now, you say you're not a salesy person. I think you're probably not a traditionally salesy person, but I'm willing to bet you outsell a lot of people. And I think this is what I want people to pay attention to. Is that the methodology you describe, the attitude you describe, and the spirit you bring to it is something which will be much easier for normal people to access and be effective. Don't try and outsell a born hustler. They're doing it a different way. You don't want to do it a di- that way. This is organic, authentic. You can do it with integrity and be effective. So I love it. I applaud you for it, and I can't wait to read it.
0: Thank you. I learned a long time ago, um, I was teaching fundraising how to ask. Uh, how to do fundraising asks. That was one of my trainings for many, many years. So I had a talk called Getting Past the Fear of Asking. And it was at one of those that someone pointed out to me that good salespeople are all relationship people. And it really gave me a pause because I had all the bad stereotypes in my head about salespeople. And if you think about it, it's true. And I had someone on my podcast, uh, year one or two, who uh, was a, a woman of color, and she had learned high ticket sales uh, closing uh, practices and became a coach in that area by selling private planes. (laughs) She's not a pilot or a white man. (laughs) So what, how did, you know, relationships. And so I would actually challenge people to think about themselves, whatever they sell to think less about their product and think, what would you do? If you having to sell a really high ticket offer, like. A private plane (laughs) what what would you do you wouldn't spam people you wouldn't walk in a room and throw your business card all over the place spray and pray you know you wouldn't you wouldn't take people's emails off of someone else's list and add them on yours like think about the relationship based practices you would have if you were selling something very very expensive and exclusive and apply that to whatever you're selling i think you're already just doing that you'll have very good results and you'll stand out from what everyone else is doing which is these horrible practices that no one likes, but people keep replicating.
1: And you know what's interesting? You'll find lots of information online about how to run Facebook ads. You'll find lots of information about traditional email marketing. But I ask almost all my podcast guests, Mm -hmm. how does opportunity come to you? And it typically comes through one of four routes. It'll come through outbound sales. It'll come as the result of our content and content marketing. It'll come through ads. But the one thing that, everybody tells me even the big names online that you and I both know they will all tell me yeah I do all of those things but the thing that always brings the opportunities the opportunities that let me level up are relationships relationships and referrals relationships are everything so if you're looking for opportunities and if you're listening to this and you're thinking I need to start winning Mm -hmm. the people who already know you they're on your side so you need to play with them again so I think one thing I'm really curious to ask you is about, okay, I know what you're good at. I know your zone of genius, but I'm really interested, and I know my audience is interested to know, okay, which part of your business do you find the hardest? What is it that you find more challenging to do? Well, I think
0: I had, I had a moment that gave me pause. Uh, this summer, I moved twice. I moved from one state to another in the U.S. and was renting and then was looking to buy a home and bought a home and within seven weeks moved into that home. So the week, the summer was a blur. But a, around July, which was the middle of all this, I had an itch to do more of my business. I had a successful virtual event production business, going gangbusters. I mean, more money than I could have ever dreamt of, more opportunities coming my way, all inbound, all referral based. But I, I had wanted to do this next thing, And I kept feeling I was hitting the gas and hitting the brake and hitting the gas and hitting the brake. It's for me a very uncomfortable place. I try not to stay there too long because it just drives me nuts. And I stayed there longer than I wanted to because I was distracted because we were moving. Right there's everything was a little tumultuous. And I had one conversation that unlocked things for me. I met with a a friend who was a business strategist, Jason Van Orden, and I was saying to him that I had wanted to do this like new launch thing, but all the way I'd seen launches done didn't feel authentic, didn't feel genuine. They're all, they're great formulas. There's a reason there's a formula for a launch, the formula for a, a sales page. They work, but my attempts to do sales pages that way never worked for me. It's, it's, that's, that's the way I don't communicate well, right? Like I can't express myself in the written word. It, it just looks really clunky and salesy and it makes me uncomfortable, which is probably why it's not working well. So he said that he has done these like two hour uh, masterminds to test out content. And he was subscribing to me and like it, something clicked in my head. And I was like, oh, I could start offering value immediately and test out things at the same time and I can scale. I didn't actually have time to do you know, 30 research calls. I had done enough calls to know my content was good. I'd written a book based on a lot of shared uh, co-creation methods but now it's time to really bring the book to life. So that's what I did. I, I really, it, it almost like came to me instantaneously, but I mapped out this launch from August, which was the, you know, finish writing the darn book um, and start to let people know about these pop-up masterminds is what I call them. I charged a hundred bucks and I required pre-work and that was how I sort of morphed his idea. But that helped me start building that pipeline, vetting the content, building um, those people who were really excited to see my results before the book was even out. And then there was the whole co-creation around the title, the subtitle, the cover. I chose a cover that I liked and then my audience told me that's not the cover. And you know what? I'm not my ideal reader. <laughs> so, Lesson learned over and over again. And so I think that for me, the hard part is when, I, when, I, when I'm not in execution mode. I do really, really well in execution mode. I'm probably better in that space than most people are. As long as I know what I'm doing, I can manage it all. I mean, sometimes there's a lot. I will admit that. But it's the hardest parts are when I haven't figured out how to move forward. And when the models that I look to to tell me how to move forward, the people I look to give me responses that don't feel right or don't really feel right for my audience, I've learned to not just push through. I've learned that trying to do things that don't feel like they're mine never work and so i kept not moving forward and not moving forward and wanting to move forward and there was that one conversation that just like clicked things in place for me and i managed to build this book launch i ended up with it was now 159 reviews on amazon i had 150 within a week of the launch hit number 4202 in all us kindle which i did not expect number one in eight paid categories and i have to distinguish eight uh, paid categories, not free categories, because people are calling themselves bestsellers of free. I don't get that. The word "sell" is in the anyway. So, uh, including two U.S. and one Canada, number one new release in five categories, including women in business. So, these are the summer results that happened because I generated some momentum around an idea. The, mo- the the reason for it was that I knew the book was valuable, and why did I know the book was valuable? Because I was testing it even before it got released. It gave me almost more reason to want to have this happen. It wasn't. The number one and all those things I just said weren't attached to my ego. It's knowing this little book's gonna get read by more people once like you, they realize the value of it. And so that momentum for me was really important. I had to get out of my own way and and keep putting the word out. And I just think people should not accept status quo um, ways of doing things. If it doesn't work for you, figure out ways to do it differently. Test things out until you find your own way.
1: Well, I admire what you've done and I admire what you're doing and I can't wait to read this book. So I guess looking at the time, we should probably bring things to a close because I'm sure you have other things to do today. I can't imagine what, but I'm sure you must have something. But before you go, I need to ask you my signature question and it's this. What's one thing you do now that you wish you'd started five years ago?
0: I vet everything before I, I run forward with it. I, I The book is full of all the mistakes I've made about having a great idea and running forward without testing it and being like crushed. Oh, why isn't this working? Um, I wish that I had this book. I wish I knew um, the simplicity. I mean, there's steps, right? You have to do them, but there are steps to follow to actually identify people for your initial offer. Um, I was very good at broad messaging, you know, in email or, or Facebook post. And then thinking that it's, which is honestly equal to spray and pray. You know, throw your business card around the room. I was I was leaning more heavily on that than I was on individual conversations, and I wish that I had had shifted. And when I did start to shift, which was funny because I, it, I I went to all of my first book not knowing my ideal client, and it was in the process of building my first offer, uh, my group first group offer that I realized who that was. They are already around me. They had been around me for a couple of years by that point, and I just had not stopped and realized it. If I had realized that sooner and had those conversations sooner, I mean, no complaints to where I am today, but I think it would have been an easier ride.
1: And if people want to connect with you, if they want to go a little bit deeper with you, where can they find you?
0: Well, you can learn all about me and the the multitude of ways I offer value. I'm a, I'm a multi-passionate entrepreneur. With a lot of different uh, things going on under under one business is all at robbysamuels.com and if you go to robbysamuels.com forward slash gentle you'll get access to the book as well as the big results toolkit which you can download for free whether or not you buy the book it's just my gift to you uh, i'm also at robbie samuels on all the social and so please do connect say hello tell me what you heard in this conversation with bob that you think really was helpful what resonated with you what action are you going to take now because of it um, love to hear all of that. And that would just make both of our days if you tag us both and let us know what, uh, what you got from this conversation.
1: I certainly would because podcast audiences are very quiet people. Robbie Samuels, you have been great fun. I've really enjoyed this. I've learned tons. And yeah, I look forward to staying connected with you and hopefully have you on the show again sometime.
0: Thank you so much, Bob. My pleasure.
1: The pleasure was all mine. Thank you. Before I go, just a quick reminder to subscribe and join our Facebook group. You'll find a link in the show notes or visit amplifyme.fm forward slash insiders. Also connect with me wherever you hang out. You'll find me on all the social platforms at Bob Gentle. If you enjoyed the show, then I would love a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It would make my day. And if you shared the show with a friend, you would literally make my golden list. My name's Bob Gentle. Thanks to you for listening. And I'll see you next week.